or eight. We've been here ever since school let out. We'll definitely be here until school starts back. And so uh, while you're finding that, again, another reminder, Wednesday night for all of our volunteers and those that serve, we had to postpone because of Miss Betty's death and her visitation. We had to postpone the cookout we had planned for Wednesday night. It's this coming Wednesday night, 6.30, Woolly Holla. Bring a lawn chair and a fun game, and we'll feed you and give you something cold to drink. But we just want to tell you how much we appreciate you and show you that. Uh, but anyway, what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at, in the book of Acts, we've been looking at the history of the church, all right, how it all started, uh, what it looked like. We saw some of the challenges that, w that they faced, and, and what we've learned is some of the same challenges that they faced in the early church as they began are some of the exact same challenges that we faced. They had some opposition from the outside. They had some opposition that rose up from the inside. You know, and so we've seen all that. We've seen uh, it, that, you know, the church didn't start out as the kind of church that you and I uh, picture today uh, or many people experience or maybe even go to today. It didn't start out as that. Church wasn't uh, a place that you went to, but instead the church was a movement that you were a part of. If you were considered to be a part of the church, you would have been considered to be this radical movement that was sweeping across the land that was telling this good news of the story of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, right? And so that's what it would have meant to have been a part of the church. It would have been meant that you were part of a movement. It wasn't a place that you went to. All right, and so that wasn't the expectation. And so what we've seen here is the danger uh, of getting caught up in, you know, how culture today has defined the church and saying what the church should look like and how we should act and when we should meet and, and, and all these, you know, things that are in place now about the, the church. You know, the danger is that we become the church that culture expects us to be and we no longer are a part of the movement. And that is the danger. Uh, that, that we find here in the book of Acts. And so the question for us in this series has been repeatedly, are we as a church, are we running an institution here? Are we actually a part of this movement that we see that began in the book of Acts? And for you, is the church, what's the church for you? Is the church simply a place that you attend or an event that you have, you know, on your schedule? Or is it a movement that you are personally a part of and that you've bought into. And, and so what I want to do today is pick up where we left off here in chapter 8 because uh, I believe there's some important warnings for us here in the next part of this story. And, and I'm going to just tell you, uh, I, I know that this series, you know, I've preached it a little bit different. And what we've been doing the last few weeks is we've just kind of been taking it, you know, verse by verse and going through it and reading it and explaining it and talking about it a little bit. We're continuing that today. This is, is more in the lines, for those, those of you who have never been to church on a Wednesday night, this is more along the lines of the Bible studies that we'll do, which we'll begin back uh, the first week, the week school starts back. So the week of the 12th, our Wednesday night Bible studies will start back with adults, kids, uh, teens. There'll be a new awesome women's Bible study that we'll be telling you about. You can enroll in. But we're just going to kind of walk through this this morning. I just ask you to be listening and paying attention to what God wants to say specifically to you. And what he's wanting to say to you may be something very different than what he speaks to your neighbor. 
All right, so we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, a lot of Scripture. If you have your Bible, follow along. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have them, uh, the Scripture up here on the screen this morning. We're going to pick it up at verse 9. It's where we left off last week. It says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. All right, and so what we've been seeing throughout our study of Acts is we've been focusing on some people in the church who were just, you know, they're just ordinary people. They were very authentic people that were doing great things under the power and under the influence of the Holy Spirit as they've joined this movement and the Holy Spirit's come upon them. We've seen them do some incredible things. And, and the focus is really being not just in the book of Acts, but all throughout the Bible, you just find God doing some really amazing things through some very ordinary people. Right? And so that's what we've been seeing, and that's what we've seen up to this point. And now Luke, who wrote all this, he's introducing us to a new guy. Uh, that's, you know, his name's Simon. And we're going to see here that he was, a, he was really a great guy, okay? A self-proclaimed great guy. All right, to hear Simon tell it. He's a great guy. He's an awesome guy, right? Uh, verse 10 goes on to say, And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God, right? This man is rightly called Dr. Awesome, right? Because he's awesome. We see the things that he can do. But who gave him that title? I mean, who gave him this title, great power of God or Dr. Awesome? Well, he gave himself that title, didn't he? I mean, he's the one there in verse 9 who, you know, proclaimed that he was a great, great guy. They didn't seem to notice these people that were, uh, you know, uh, talked about here in verse 10. They didn't seem to notice that they were just agreeing with who Simon said he was. And he was the one that boasted he was someone great. Let's move on to verse 11. It says, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery or his magic. Okay, so, so I want to stop here and, and, and focus on this just a minute, but I don't, I don't want us to get sidetracked. What kind of magic are, you know, are we talking about here? Is this, this wasn't really you know, like some guy that could do some awesome card tricks. Okay, one of my boys, ever since he was a little kid, he was always mesmerized by card tricks and, you know, magic tricks and things like that. And you're like, oh, you're a preacher. Your son shouldn't be doing magic. Well, it's tricks. All right. And, and so enjoyed that. And so th this isn't exactly what that's talking about here. His magic or sorcery, as it's called here in the scripture, scholars say that it was probably, you know, a mixture of some genuine scientific knowledge that he had. You know, he, he probably had a knowledge about medicines and herbs and, you know, how people might react to them. Uh, you know, you smoke this one with the funny little leaves and it'll give you this effect, you know, or whatever. You know, he probably had some knowledge about some things like that. Uh, he, he had some knowledge. <laughs> some of you, I'm not encouraging you smoke anything, all right? That was not a statement for medical marijuana. If some of you are wanting to be offended today, get offended by something else. I'm not, I, I, wasn't, I was joking, all right? But this guy probably knew some things about medicines and, and herbs and those sort of things and, you know, how the body would react to them. He knew some things about astronomy. He probably knew some things, scholars say, about math. Uh, it would have included, you know, superstitions. It would, you know, have probably included the use of charms, interpreting dreams, uh, you know, uh, uh, also, you know, doing things that magicians do 
you know, will do with the slide of hands and things like that. Uh, and in our culture today, you know, what that might look like uh, might be, you know, someone who believes and rely on, you know, their horoscopes or whatever, or uses crystals or fortune tellers or, or whatever, uh, or people, you know, who claim they saw the statue of the Virgin Mary crying and they caught the tears in a bottle and they'll sell them to you for divine healing. Uh, or maybe they saw Jesus' face on a grilled cheese sandwich, and so they called it Grilled Jesus, and they'll sell it to you on eBay for $10,000. I mean, you know, it could have been assorted things like that, all right? Uh, just trying to give you some, something relevant. So, so the question is, did this guy really have any actual power, you know, is what might come to mind? Well, there's another magician we're going to see over in chapter 13 that Paul said was filled with the devil, all right? And, and so, which implies that some of his magic was powered and could be powered by demonic uh, activity. Uh, so yes, there's, you know, could possibly be some sort of power at work within Simon uh, as he does these things. Uh, but this is not what the story is about. So let's not get sidetracked there. Let's move on to verse 12. It says, but when they believed Philip, and I got to stop there. I know this drives some of you crazy when I just read a little bit, stop. But I got to stop there because some of you weren't here last week. Uh, I recognize there's more people here today than there were last week. And, and so we learned about Philip in the previous eight verses of this chapter. We were introduced to him. Uh, Philip was another just ordinary guy. He was a member of the movement, member of the church, a layman in the church, wasn't an apostle. He had gone to Samaria, uh, was telling people about Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit had come up on him. He was able to, you know, perform some powerful things. It was obvious yeah, Philip was filled with the Spirit, was doing some incredible things for Jesus. Uh, he wasn't, again, one of the apostles, just an ordinary guy that God was using in extraordinary ways. Okay? And so when the people of Samaria believed Philip and what he was saying and what he was doing, uh, we saw this last week as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, what happened? More people were baptized. More people came to know Christ. More people were baptized, both men and women. And now catch this in verse 13. This is so awesome right here. The Bible says this, that Simon the magician, Simon the magician, look at what happened. Himself, he believed, and he was baptized, right? And he followed Philip everywhere, being discipled, being part of that discipleship, right? He was astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. This sorcerer, this magician heard and he saw these things that Philip was teaching and what was going on and the thing that was happening. And he obviously saw Jesus in and through that. And so he believed this story that Philip was telling about Jesus and the death, the burial, the resurrection. And he let Philip baptize him here. But because he knew there was something fundamentally different between the things that Philip was saying and the things that Philip was able to do under the power of the Holy Spirit and the things that Simon had been able to do in the past, he knew there was a difference there. He knew that what was going on in Philip's life was something that was genuine, something that was real, something that was powerful, something that was so totally different and it caught his attention. And so he followed, and, and, and he was baptized. You see, Philip wasn't doing tricks. Philip was doing genuine miracles that the Holy Spirit was allowing him to do. And listen, they did not point to the fact that Philip was great. That was so obvious and so evident, I'm sure, to Simon. As Philip would do these things, and he would teach, and he would preach with this anointing that he had on him, people knew this is not a Philip. 
right? This is something much greater than this man. Uh, and they pointed to the, the things that he was doing didn't point to Philip. They pointed to a crucified Savior who would forgive our sins and heal our souls, right? They didn't see Philip. They saw Jesus. When Philip would, would speak and do these deeds, as we saw last week, and, and this was and is easy to recognize. If, if what someone, listen, if what someone is doing is pointing to their greatness, beware. Run from that. All right? If it's pointing to them, where the attention will be drawn to them, be, be weary of that. If it points people to Jesus, you'll know it. You'll know it, and you'll recognize it. And, and I would encourage you to pay close attention. And so Simon here, he recognized it, right? He recognized the power of the Holy Spirit at work in Philip's life. And so he believes what Philip is saying and what Philip is teaching. He is, he is obedient and he's baptized. This is awesome stuff, right? I mean, this dude was a magician. And now he's joined them and he's been baptized. But that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now, I've got to stop again because, again, uh, my sermons would be a whole lot shorter if I didn't have to catch you people up that weren't here the week before, just so you know. <laughs> You're making it longer. You're dragging it out because you weren't here last week. So now I've got to tell you why the apostles were in Jerusalem and not in Samaria. All right, again, last week we saw that all the apostles, they had stayed in Jerusalem. It was the lay people, it was the members of the movement, the members of the church that had actually went out to be the witnesses and the, do the evangelism work, okay? The apostles had stayed uh, there in, in, in Jerusalem. And so the apostles now, what we see here, uh, uh, they, they hear about what's going on in Samaria. They hear about the movement that is now spreaded to Samaria and the work that's going on through the leadership of, of Philip and this incredible movement that's sweeping across the community. And so the apostles, they hear of what's going on there and this great revival that's broken out, and they're like, you know, we gotta get, we got to get some of the apostles down there. Right? We've we got to get somebody down there to help Philip and to, you know, to validate this movement and what's taking place here. And so they send in the big guns. I mean, they send Peter and John. Right? And look at verse 15. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this brings us to a question here that you may have. I know I did uh, initially. Why didn't they receive the Holy Spirit when they were saved and baptized? When they initially believed, why didn't these people receive the Holy Spirit? You know, because this is the only time after the day of Pentecost that we actually see this take place, that there was a delay in receiving the Holy Spirit. In all the other cases, up, and, up until now, when people believed and became a part of this movement, they received the Holy Spirit instantly, but not here. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Just asking the question, throwing it out there. <laughs> but I do have commentaries, <laughs> and I, I do uh, have access to some Bible scholars that know a whole lot more about these things than I do. Uh, but most Bible scholars lean toward the fact that because 
this was such a new movement. This was the first time for this to move out of Jerusalem, right, since it had taken place. And so it moved in Samaria, and, and there had been so much hostility. There has been so much just chaos surrounded uh, around all this in that region that, you know, uh, God knew it, it, it was going to take, you know, something special to take place in Samaria, kind of like it did there in Jerusalem. Much like the, the followers uh, uh, on the movement had the day of Pentecost, there in Jerusalem and experienced it together, this would kind of be like Samaria's own day of Pentecost. Let me put that in modern day terms for you. This would have been kind of like the ribbon cutting ceremony on a new church plant. All right? This would have been like, you know, the, the validation, a celebration and validation of the movement that had now happened outside of Jerusalem and was now taking place in Samaria. All right? And so the apostles, Peter and John, go up there basically to confirm. This movement is authentic. It's part of us. It's part of what Jesus has done in and through us. It's authentic to confirm it and to decrease some of these hostilities and to validate uh, the movement there. And they experienced that through the presence of the Holy Spirit this time. Now let's move on pick it up verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon here offers them money to be able to do what these apostles were doing. Because in those days, now remember Simon had been a magician. All right? And so in the, those days it was common that magicians would buy each other's secrets. As they would cross paths and, you know, I, you know, well, I can do this little trick or what, you know, this right here would have this effect on somebody. Well, they would exchange those tricks and secrets, if you would, for money. They would buy them from one another. All right, so this would have been, you know, something common for him to, to say, hey, I, I want to buy, I, I want to pay you so that I can be able to do this as well. And so Peter answered, may your money perish with you. Peter, by the way, was probably one of the most uh, feel-good preachers ever in the New Testament, don't you think? Uh, he made everybody feel warm and fuzzy when he talked to them. Peter answered, may your money perish with you <laughs> because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. He goes on to say in verse 22, Peter's saying this, Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having even such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. All right, there's so much here. We've been talking about the movement began because they were captivated by the message, right? And Peter's looking at Simon and said, no, you're captivated by sin, and you're full of bitterness. Welcome to the movement, Simon, <laughs> right? Where everything is not always warm and fuzzy, and sometimes you'll get your toes stepped on if that's what it takes for the Lord to get his point across, right? Peter's not really sugarcoating his words here, is he? Peter, I don't know if Peter would have really had a big following preaching in our day and age today because everybody had been like, man, that dude preaches a little harsh. I'm going to go down here where they make me feel good about myself, right? That's not Peter. That's not the Word of God, actually. 
Then verse 24 says, Then Simon answered, he said, Well, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now, I, I believe this story is included here. Luke decided to put it in, in here at this spot, you know, to, to give us a warning that goes along with being a part of the movement and the growth of the movement and the growth of the church because I just want you to know the movement is going to grow until he blows that trumpet that we sang about earlier. This movement's going to move with you or without you, with them or without them, this movement's going to move. And it's going to continue until he says, I'm done, it's finished. All right? And so there's some warnings here that go along with being a part of this movement. And so, you know, I think there, that there's a warning here for you this morning, okay, as a, a congregation member of the church, as a follower on the movement. I believe there's a warning here for you. I also believe that there's a warning here for me this morning as a pastor uh, of a church. So which warning do you want first, the one to me or the one to you? All right, we'll go with you. Since that's first in my notes anyway, uh, I'm going to talk to you first. Don't miss this. Simon the Magician is a warning to you, and it's this. Not everyone who believes and is baptized is a real, authentic Christian and follower of Jesus on the movement. Yeah, that's not really what we came to church to hear today, is it? But you know what? Even the best preaching and the best church evangelism methods taking place, hey, non-authentic conversions happen. Uh, they just do. And, and in verse 13 here, we see that hey, Simon, he believed. He believed the preaching. He believed the teaching. He believed the message. He was baptized. He even went on to hang around the, the, the church and follow Philip after this, right? Uh, a lot of people say the best way to run somebody off uh, from your church is to baptize them and take them into membership. You'll never see them again, right? Because they're good at that point, right? But hey, even Simon, even Simon hung around the church and, and, and followed F Philip. And, and listen, you know, a, a lot of people have been baptized in this church over the past hundred plus years that we've been here. I wish I knew exactly how many have been baptized. I'd say thousands have been baptized in this church over the past hundred years. But some of them didn't actually become disciples. Some of them that were baptized and believed the message and had an experience and were baptized, they didn't necessarily become a part of the movement. And I believe that Simon, I believe he genuinely believed what Philip was teaching, you know, and that he recognized and he could see the power that Philip had and that it came from something supernatural. It wasn't something that he just generated or fabricated on his own. I believe Simon saw that. I believe he knew that. I think he truly believed that Jesus was who he said he was. I believe Simon, Simon bought it hook, line, and sinker. Right? I believe that, that, that he, you know, he was, he was yeah, I, I get it. These guys are so passionate. They've given up everything to do this. And I, I believe he believed it. But here's the problem. And it's the problem with a lot of people who are, who are like Simon. He seems to have believed in Jesus, but he was believing in the, uh, he, he was believing in the magic of Jesus, if you will. Right, and he believed in he he believed in the agenda of the movement. He liked the message, he he liked the moral stances that they took. 
He, he liked that they would, you know, d- d- define and determine what was right and what was wrong. And he loved the fact that they were feeding the widows and, you know, that they were helping uh, those who were sick and they were ministering to those who had no food. He, he, he liked all that. He was all about that. But he was like a lot of people today who have some sort of emotional or or moral experience with God. You know, I like what Jesus is about. I want to be associated with that. I want to be associated with those people because I like I like what it's about. I like what they stand for. I would like for them to uh, have uh, some sort of influence into my life and have some sort of influence into my family. But I reserve the right to pick the parts of it that I like, and I reserve the right to pick the parts of it that I don't want to do. Because we live in a different culture today. Things are so much different, and, you know, there's no way, no how, you know. And so I reserve the right because I live in 2018 to, you know, to take some of it out or leave some of it behind. Because some of this is really hard to believe, right? And there's just some of this stuff that I just don't want to do. I heard a preacher say it like this one time. If you're 99% committed to Jesus, you are still 100% in control. And I want you to think about that. If you're 99% committed to the movement, you're still in control. Because ultimately, you decide which 99% he's going to get. And so you're really in control of that. And so, you know, and you're also in control, and you can change the terms at any time, basically. Don't miss this. You're either fully committed or you're not committed at all. There's you some feel-good preaching. You're either all in or you're not in at all. Fully committed or not committed at all. You either have given Jesus full control of your life, which means to make him Lord over your life. If something is lording over you, they have control over you. Right? And and so you've either given him full control of your life or you've really not given him any control of your life at all. Listen, the movement demands everything. That's That's what Scripture means when it says pick up your cross daily. It's denying. It's dying to self. It's putting Jesus and his movement and his kingdom work first and foremost. And see, there's a lot of people today that, you know, they they like being associated with that because, you know, it kind of makes us look a little better, but they're not really bought in. They're not 100% bought in. They're just, you know, whatever percent feels good to them is is what they're bought in. And Simon, well, he's a guy, you know, he he wants Jesus in his life. He likes what the church is teaching. He wants to be associated with these guys. They're good guys. I mean, none of them are going to steal his money or, you know, knock him in the head, whatever. But he doesn't really want to give up full control to Jesus. And so Simon serves as a warning to you, but Simon is also... Uh, serves as a warning to me because in Simon we see a man who wants the spotlight to be on him and he's envious when it's not he can't hardly stand it because it's not he wants to be the great one he wants to be the one who is known for doing these things and, and, and being this person and sadly today honestly there are pastors that want to stand on a platform and share the spotlight with Jesus. 
You know, they, they think it's all about being in the spotlight. And, and I've shared with this with you before. We talked about it in a series we did back in the spring. But, but we have to be really careful. I have to be really careful that it is always about thy kingdom come and not my kingdom come. Because that's a very easy trap to fall into as a leader and, and as a, a pastor in the church. And so now you know how to pray for me, all right? Now, now you know how you can pray for me because I, with all my heart, want it to always be about Jesus. Okay? There, there's something else uh, that we see in Simon. We also see a man here who thinks he can somehow purchase Jesus or purchase this power with money. All right? Now, that's a warning to somebody. Uh, he, he thinks that the power of God can come from his uh, uh, ability to somehow to be able to buy it, and then that would put the spotlight back on him in some way. Watch out. If you see this, if you have done this, you know, danger, danger, you know. But what is, because what does the Bible teach us? What does the gospel teach us? Well, over in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse uh, 8 and 9, it teaches us that it has been by grace that we are saved. All right? It's nothing of ourselves. It's not anything that we can do. There's no way to earn it. There's no way that you can buy it. I don't care how much money you have. It's a gift of God. Why did God set it up this way so that it would happen this way and it was a gift from him to us? Why would he do that? So that no man could boast about it. So the spotlight wouldn't be on us. It would be on him. It was set up that way, so it would point to him. And if it's pointing to a man, run again, like I said. Run from that. All right, it's not of us. It's not of me. It's not of yourselves. It can't be uh, purchased, and it can't be earned, or it can't be bought. It is a gift of grace from God so that no one can boast about it. All right, and, and, and you know, those of you that know me know I have nothing to boast about anyway. But I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, you know, there, there's no way that I could boast about standing in front of you because any ability that I have or anything that I could possibly ever say has to be a gift from the Holy Spirit. And those of you that may have known me 20, 30 years ago, you know that it's true. <laughs> uh, a guy who couldn't go in a crowd without puking. I mean, I just, no. It's, not, it's nothing that I could ever do. Uh, it makes me think, uh, I'm just going to get away from my notes here a minute, so we could be here another hour. Um, I ran into a guy this week uh, down at the wagon wheel uh, where we do a lot of evangelism, many of you, uh, at the wheel. But anyway, a guy came up to me and and I hadn't seen him 15-something years. Last time that we were in contact, though, he did know that I was a youth pastor here at this church. He came up to me, struck up a conversation. We began to talk. Uh, again, I worked with him. He was, uh, um, let's see, how can I say this from the podium? Uh, he liked women and lots of them. I, that was kind of his deal. Uh, he liked to drink and drink a lot. And the two kind of went hand in hand most every day. And so it was kind of his life. And, uh, you know, just one of those guys I was always nice to and friendly to, but we never really had a lot in common. So, you know, I kind of left it at that. He comes up to me and starts talking. He's saying, hey, where you at now? And I said, well, I'm still at the Nazarene Church. And I said, but they dumb enough to make me the senior pastor. And so uh, 
was talking about that a little bit and how God had worked through in and through that. And he kind of looked at me and he grinned. And he said, uh, um, I'm going to blow your mind. And I said, well, where are you at? And he told me where he was living. And he said, uh, I'm going to, uh, and he called the name of the church. And it caught me off guard when he said he was going to church. And I was like, wow. And he said, yeah. And he kept grinning. And he said, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the Sunday school superintendent. And he said, a few weeks ago, they asked me to start teaching the senior adult Bible study, Sunday school class. And he said, you know, that's hard because them old people know it all. <laughs> and I'm sitting here looking at this guy going, never, ever, ever would I have guessed. If you'd have walked in my church, I'd have ran out the other door because it was going to fall in, Right? And then he starts to tell me about another guy we worked with. He said, I'm going to tell you something else to blow your mind. He said, I'm not going to tell you the guy's name. He began to tell me about another guy that we worked with. Drank, drank, drank. Every other word was not appropriate. And uh, they were big buddies. And he said, but he didn't, he didn't tell me this guy's name. He said, but uh, this guy got saved about 10 years ago, and he's doing the work of an evangelist now, and he's doing a lot of street evangelism. And said, this guy has, left hun has led hundreds and hundreds of people to come to know Christ through his testimony. And I was like, wow. And he told me who the guy was. And I was like, that is absolutely unbelievable. He said, hey, I know I'm blowing your mind. He said, if you don't believe me, and some of you may have saw him yesterday down at Spring Hill, these two guys that I basically, God forgive me, had probably written off, standing on the side of Highway 65 yesterday, holding up signs trying to evangelize people and lead them to Jesus. I didn't know what to say. I, you know, I, I felt guilty because I would have never even considered them. But I just looked at him and I said, all I know to say is only God. Only God can do that. And you know, people who have really got it and have really experienced that, you see it. You know it. We can, you know, the world can identify an authentic Christian from a counterfeit Christian. They can. A lot of us think that we have somebody fooled, and we ain't got nobody fooled, but maybe ourselves. And so, you know, if, if I really believe in the gospel, I wouldn't want your attention directed to me because there's nothing in me that can help you. There's nothing in me that could help you. Matter of fact, there's a lot in me that could hurt you. And so, you know, I just want you to see Jesus. I feel like every Sunday that I'm just one beggar that's standing before some other beggars, and I'm trying to tell you where you can get something to eat, where you can get some bread. Okay, and so in contrast here, we see Simon the magician, and we see Simon Peter, who knows what salvation is all about, who is fully understood and recognized what grace is about and what this gift is all about. And if you know the story of Peter, you know he learned it the hard way, right? I mean, he just didn't magically get saved and have it all together. I mean, how many times did he boast about his strength and what he could do, right? I mean, he was the one that said, Jesus, you know, even if everybody else will deny you, I'm stronger than that, right? I never will. There's no way they'd ever get me to deny you. And what happened? 
He did three times in just a short period of time. He denied knowing Jesus or being with Jesus. And wasn't Peter the same one who got in an argument with someone else about who was going to sit beside Jesus in the kingdom? <laughs> yeah, it was Peter having that argument. But Peter, he's experienced the cross. And he has experienced the grace that worked in and through the, the cross. And, and notice that the result of that experience of grace and the authenticity of that is, is, is now what we see in him is that money is now powerless over him. Okay, and, and the way we see that is because he was offered money. Was he not? Peter was offered money here. And, and, and you know, he, he's not like, you know, the story could have gone, well, Simon, how much money are we talking? You know, just how big of a donation could you make to the Children's Building Fund program? I might could hook you up with a trick or two, you know, or give you a little spotlight there. But listen, here's what we see over and over again with people who are authentically a part of the movement. And, 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 you know, I believe that when a person really experiences the power of grace, money will lose its power over him. All right, if you want a power that can't be bought with money, money has to be powerless over you. All right, so today, don't miss this war warning from this story of, uh, of Simon. He professes Christ, right? But it's not real. And, and I want to go back, and I want you to see what it buys him. All right, go back to verse 23 there. When Peter rebukes him, he said this, I see that you are full of bitterness, and you're captive to sin. Don't miss this. There's joy to being in a relationship with Jesus. Okay? A true and genuine relationship. Not, not just some name-only relationship, you know, which is really no relationship at all. You know, a lot of people just are, are Christians because they can check the box. I go to church, and so I'm a Christian, so I check the box, right? A, a, a true and, and, and genuine relationship will bring you this joy and this peace. Counterfeit Christianity always leads to bitterness. Counterfeit Christianity always leads to disappointment. Always has, always will. I want to share with you something that Jesus said about all this as well over in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. He gives us a warning. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are really just ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you're going to recognize them. You're going to know them by their fruit. You will know if they're authentic or if they're not authentic. You just need to know what to look for. Jesus didn't say all that. I said that. He said, by your fruit, by their fruit, you'll know them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or pick figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree will bear bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, don't miss this, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many of you are going to say to me on that day that we sang about earlier when the trumpet sounds and we stand before him and give an account. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do your work? Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
Away from me, you evil doers. That's how Jesus put it. It's what Jesus said about it. Listen, counterfeit Christianity not only leads to bitterness and disappointment, but it also leads to an eternal separation from God. We can't avoid that. That's what Jesus is speaking to here, right? Because, you know, uh, that person is not really a, a Christian or a part of this movement that we've been talking about all summer if they don't look like what Jesus says we'll look like. You know, being a part of the movement, it leads to joy. Being a part of the movement is going to give you real life. Being a part of the movement is going to bring you to eternal life. Even as we give our life up for him, we're still experiencing life in return, what life is really all about. All right, Jesus said, He who loses his life for my sake is going to find life. That flies in the face of what culture says today. But Jesus said, this is the truth. He who loses his life for my sake is going to find life. All right? And that's what all this is about. So I want to ask you this morning, have you committed your life to this movement? We've been talking about it for 10 weeks now. Have you committed your life to be a part of this movement? Because Paul tells us over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, he tells us this, and I believe this is where we're at today. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. He's not writing this letter to a bunch of people that's sitting down at the bar. He's writing this to church folks. He's writing this to people who are professing to be followers of Jesus and a part of the movement. And Paul's saying, you need to examine yourselves to see whether you're really in the faith. Test yourselves. And I believe that you've seen here today that just because you believe the message and you've been baptized, that doesn't mean you're part of the movement. You're either all in or you're not in at all. That's not my message. That's not my opinion. That's the truth. That's what Jesus has taught us. That's what everything about God's Word screams at us. It's about giving up our life, surrendering our life, so that we can have and experience life. That's what it's all about. So I'm going to ask you the same question that I've asked you for the last nine weeks. Will you join us? And see, I know these kind of messages. They... Yeah. You know, they, can, they make us uncomfortable. I'll just tell you, I was raised in a church where every single Sunday, the pastor did his dead level best to convince us all that we were not saved. All right? And that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to run anybody off. I'm not trying to, you know, you know all of you should come to the altar because, you're, you know, you're sinners and you're sorry. Uh, that, that's not it. But we can't avoid the stuff in the Bible that, that speaks to us about being all in. And sold out and fully surrendered. We, we can't just pick and choose. Because if we pick and choose, are we really part of the movement? Or are we just hanging out, watching it, and being associated with it so that we look better? I, I don't know. I, I just trust that God has spoken to you this morning through his word. And so uh, just be available to what he's wanting to speak into your life and be obedient to that. Let me pray with you before we go. God, sometimes your word just uh, makes us happy, and it's uh, a great encouragement to us, and it makes us feel good about 
you know, being Christians and being the church. And then some, sometimes your word just kind of is a gut punch. And we really don't know how to take it or how to receive it. But God, I, I just pray today that we would receive it. Um, you've talked to probably a lot of people here in a lot of different ways. And I can't expound on that because I, I know your word does things that I could never dream or imagine it doing. But God, I, I just pray for those today that really feel the Holy Spirit speaking to their heart and to their mind and to their life today. I, I just I just pray that they would get to a point, to a place to where they could have a peace about knowing they're all in and they're fully committed to the movement and they're fully committed to you. God, it's not, it's not about being fully committed to following Steve. It's about being fully committed to following you and going into this community and going into our workplaces and going into our schools and going into our restaurants and being your representatives. Being your witnesses in our words and in our deeds. And God, I pray, it is, it is, I, I beg and plead that you will help us to be able to do things that will point people to you. Not to us, not to the church of the Nazarene, but that it will point them to you. Because we can't help them. We can't save them. We can only show them where the help is at. And who can save them. And who, you know, who wants to bless them and their families and give them good days ahead. And, and so, God, I, I just pray that we would continually be open and available to the work that you want to do in us and through us. So that others might know you and your kingdom would increase. And so, I thank you again for the opportunity. I thank you for the invitation to be a part of this movement. I just pray again that you would find us faithful and you would find us fully committed and all in and we would know without a doubt that we are pointing people to heaven. And we love you. We thank you again for your awesome love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.